The way we take care of ourselves is ever evolving. And what we know for sure is that our mind and spirit are linked to our physical body and that our wellness seems to extend into our communities and the planet we all share. It is very, very clear that wellness is interconnected. We love spending time with you to explore and practice the breakthroughs, the insights, and the passions of incredible people helping us all see the world in a whole new light. This is Health Gig. So today on Health Gig, we have a special guest, somebody everybody knows well, somebody that I've worked with for over 20 years, and of course, that's Trisha Riley Cook. And Trisha, welcome to your own podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It's so fun to be sitting over here in this chair. We've only done it a few other times, but thanks for inviting me. It's so much fun. I think people know a lot about you, but they may not know that you have a real interest in wolves. So just tell everybody how this passion came to be. Really, we hadn't started thinking about wolves, or I hadn't really been thinking about wolves at all, really, except for maybe through the years when we would see how the wolves were vilified in the media. I, I probably always thought that wolves were not nice, that they were scary. You know, when you think about Little Red Riding Hood or the Three Little Pigs and all the Disney <laughs> movies with Beauty and the Beast and how the wolves are going after Belle's dad. And then in Frozen, when the wolves are seen as villains. So I've never, in my life, had never seen a wolf, probably in real life either, until a couple of years ago, probably two years ago, when I went out to Yellowstone with my family. It was so interesting because we went there just to see Yellowstone. It was probably the first time that I've taken my adult children. So as kids, we didn't do the national parks or travel to the national parks as a family. I would go, but the kids didn't come with me. So two years ago, we had the opportunity where two of the kids, which would have been Max and Casey, joined my sister and I on a trip to Yellowstone. And when we were out there, we heard about the Yellowstone wolves. We are like, well, what are the Yellowstone wolves? Well, where are they or what are they? Hence started my whole life in wolves. So the Yellowstone wolves is probably this United States conservation's biggest success story. And here's yes. how it goes. Way back in the early 1900s, people were afraid of wolves and they felt that wolves were killing their livestock, that they were bad. So the government, in an effort to tame the wildlife, decided to take out all wolves. So you can research that and see how that went. And it was successful. And so now all the wolves were eradicated. And so what started happening at Yellowstone and everywhere else that they were eradicated the apex predator is now gone. So we saw that Yellowstone in particular became not balanced. So we would see tons of elk because the wolf would prey on weak elk. We would see that the elk came out in droves, like they were just taking over. The bison populating. All kinds of things were happening that just weren't what should have been happening. So there was no balance. So back in the 70s, the decision was made that we need to bring back wolves. And so there started the Yellowstone Wolf Project. Dora, you know, it's just been so interesting to understand it and follow it. And one yes. of the key people in the whole reintroduction of the wolves is a fellow named Rick McIntyre, who Doro were doing some work with and really mm -hmm. enjoy working with Rick and also the whole Yellowstone Wolf Project team. 
Doug Smith, Dan Taylor. There's a whole group of them, which are just doing amazing work with the wolves. And they've been my greatest teachers that have shown that there's so much more to the wolves than what the media has told us. And it's been a fascinating journey and it's been fun to learn and watch. And as you and I are focusing a lot of our time now on the interconnectedness of wellness, it was fascinating to look at the wolves, study the wolves and just see how part of nature they are their matriarch society, how they take care of their group. They're in a community. I mean, it's been just a fascinating experience, deep diving into the wolves. So the first time you went out, you were watching the wolves. Correct. The second time you went out, you were actually tracking the wolves. Tracking the wolves. Yep. What's the difference between watching and tracking and what do you do when you track wolves? Yes. So there's a difference between wolf watching and wolf tracking. So wolf tracking is when you're with folks that can actually follow the wolves that have been collared because they have collared a certain amount of wolves so that they can study them and understand them and know their habits. So that's collaring. So they have a way of being able to know where the wolves are at all times. So if you're with the folks that are tracking that way, you get to follow them. Much like, I guess, I don't know, you fish, right? You're a fisherman. Yes. Like, you know, the patterns of the fish. So they'll know the patterns of where the wolves are. So we would be driving all over different places, listening to the beep. And then once we would get the beep, we would then be able to get our scopes out and actually watch and witness the wolves. So it's really fascinating. And if you take it on the level of tracking and watching and learning, it's amazing. But then take it down another level. It's just crazy to know that these are other living beings and we're in their land. It's kind of like, Dora, when you were in Africa, it's that same idea. Like we're there in their land or in their home. So it was a fascinating experience. And then also, because there is a lot of time where you do sit and you wait for the wolves, it can become like a Zen experience, you know, because you are sitting in nature, being right there in the present moment. And there is a community of people that are out there doing the same thing. Which, Talk about them. What are yes. they like? Who are they? Who are they? So wolf watchers come from all over the place. And again, Rick McIntyre really started this. I think he discovered wolf watching in that he would tell the stories about wolves and he would have people understand that the wolves live really incredible lives and that they really are a community. As I mentioned before, they're a matriarch community. They take care of their babies. They're just in touch with nature. So Rick has gotten a group many, 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 many followers that have learned and been fascinated by the wolves. So that's how I think wolf watching officially might have started through his storytelling at the Yellowstone Wolf Project. And he's written a ton of books on wolves. It's quite fascinating that all the wolves have numbers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they number the wolves. So when he talks about them, he talks about his favorites all by using a number. And that's an interesting way that they do it because that way you're not naming the wolves. And so there's not that. What is that making that like a person kind of thing? You know, it's a number. And that's how he teaches and talks about and talks about wolves in that way and tells their stories. And he actually was on our podcast. Yes. So if people are listening to this and want to know more and hear from Rick, he was on the podcast probably about what a year ago talking about his work. But for us, Doro, it's so interesting because again, this focus that BBNR has on understanding our interconnectedness of wellness, it's incredible to be able to sit 
in nature, see it and experience that we really are interconnected. And in the wolf's case, it's such a perfect example of how you can't just take out the apex predator and expect the whole world to stay the same. We should post that video, remember Cascade? And it really talks about how wolves saved Yellowstone. We'll post that because that was one of the first things that we saw that kind of moved us. That really tells the story of what happens when you take out the apex predator. So Trisha and I are involved in an organization called Conservation Nation, which is dedicated to bringing an inclusive group of people to the table in conservation, which is a really great organization. And so what is Conservation Nation doing out in Yellowstone right now? So they are actually supporting the Yellowstone Wolf Project. And Taylor Raby is one of the technicians who I spent time with when I was out there. She's also our first fellow at Conservation Nation. And Conservation Nation, as we've discussed, is all about bringing more voices to the table. And Taylor represents that mission statement so perfectly as a young woman, a woman of color that came from Ohio. And she was volunteering for several years at the Yellowstone Wolf Project. And when we met her, we were able to talk to her about Conservation Nation and find ways to support her. And now she's doing this incredible work and being paid for it. And it was just such an honor to spend this kind of time with Taylor and to learn so much from her. So when you're out there tracking the wolves, what else do you see? Oh my gosh. Well, as you know, because I sent them to you, our big focus was on wolves going tracking. I can't tell you how much fun it was. But in the meantime, while you're tracking, all of a sudden you see a little baby grizzly and, you know, they're not so little. (laughs) And we got to watch the grizzlies and we got to see them. And now spring is a beautiful time at Yellowstone because life is happening. So we were seeing oh my gosh, bison and their baby bison, which was just beautiful to watch them move through Yellowstone. And it's interesting along the way, you're learning that, oh, baby bison have no odor when they're born. Therefore, they're not prey to, you see what I mean? Like, it's sort of interesting, like, wow, how nature really is remarkable and has a way of having a place for everybody. And it reminded me, Dora, so much of the Mary Oliver poem, Wild Geese, you know, finding your place. It just feels like that when you're out there, you're like, wow, we all have a place on this earth. We saw a lot of, like I said, a lot of bison there everywhere, a lot of elk. We got to watch one of the yearlings kind of tease an elk, a mother elk who's protecting her baby. So we got to watch so much. We got to actually go on a mission to find there have been some elk that were killed over the winter. They were killed by wolves and their collars they didn't know where they were. The beeping had stopped. So we had to hike secret passage to go find the elk and then ultimately find the collars, which again, have so much data in them that help the scientists and the biologists figure out how best to support the wolves, the elk. It's fascinating to see the work that these people do on a day-to-day basis. What are some of the things that these conservationists need to do their job? I know that we have been supporting Taylor with scopes and how can people help? So I think how people can get involved with us is number one, you know, start taking some deep breaths and start realizing that this earth, right, Dora, this world that we live in needs everybody's attention right now. So what could you do? And Conservation Nation has been a great place for us because we love this idea of being able to support biodiversity. We love being able to support people that aren't normally brought to the table to help with this existential crisis that our earth is having. We love supporting them. So if anybody else wants to do that, it would be great. Reach out to us, look up Conservation Nation, see the work that we're doing there. 
join us because there's much to be done. Light the wolves, the Ara Matriarch community over there, <laughs> and really welcome all voices to join us in this important cause. So what is the hope for conservationists for the wolves in Yellowstone? Is there a certain goal of number of wolves that you want to be in the park? Or is it more an understanding of the benefits of wolves? I don't really know the exact answer to that, but what I do know is what's important is that people do have the awareness of what's going on with the wolves and what goes on with all of our animals that we might not see as other living beings, but actually there for us. The interesting thing about the wolves, and Taylor, you know, wanted to make sure that I talk about this too, is that, you know, they're very docile and they're very scared of people. They don't attack people. And when they have in the United States, which has never happened in Yellowstone, it's only been due to food conditioning. So when we do see wild animals, and I don't know about you, Dora, but like, you know, the fox that are in our area, yes. people are feeding the fox. I know. And it's really bad for the fox. We've got to just learn not to do that because that makes the animals then not afraid to come and get food. When that happens, the animals might appear to be getting aggressive, right? With the wolves, they've asked, please don't feed the wolves. And people are tempted to because, oh, they want to have them come closer kind of thing. But since the 1900s, there's only been 10 fatal attacks in North America with wolves. Again, it's always been with food involved in it. So it's very, very, very rare that wolves would threaten humans. The thing that people talk about is the livestock, you know, and how wolves then go after the livestock. But what they've taught us is that that's also a learned behavior of the wolves. And it's not a common occurrence, you know. Yeah. So wolves do not naturally hunt livestock. And less than 1% of livestock are killed every year is due to wolves. So I think that's a message that they would love to get out there because there's so much false narrative around wolves attacking livestock. But it's an area that I think they think, and I think you and I agree with this, it's about education. And then yeah. if people are given the facts and they know what's happening, then they can make their decisions on what to do. And there is some type of compensation program put in place. If the ranchers do lose their livestock, the government is covering that. It's not a simple, simple thing because so no. much is involved in it. But from our perspective, becoming educated seems to always make a difference. And with BB&R, we're all about educating people on how to take better care of themselves, mind, body, spirit. And now we've reached into become educated in our environment and what's going on in our world. It kind of matters. It does matter. So what else would you share about Wolves before we wrap up? I think what I want to say about wolves, and thank you for having me on the podcast today, <laughs> is that they are symbolic, I think, in the sense that remember that we are all in this together and that we just need to just pay attention to, again, what's going on in our world and our environment. And biodiversity really matters. And, yes. and we can put all the links to what's happening. And again, I think that I'm new to all of this. So it's like, I have this mind that's like, oh my gosh, I never knew this. So it's been incredible to open my eyes and I know your eyes too, although you've been probably a little bit ahead of me in all of this. It's just been amazing to see that we do live in a broader world that we are responsible for. It's great that you have this awareness now. You've educated me. We hopefully will educate more people. Now that you're an official wolf <laughs> tracker. Tracker. Um, yeah, now that you're an official wolf tracker, when will you go back? There's a thing that they call the winter study. 
but it's a big deal. It's what biologists are doing. It's what the technicians are doing. And they're out counting the wolves, looking at the wolves, studying the wolves, seeing their habits. And that happens every winter. They say that to see the Yellowstone and the wolves in the winter is pretty fabulous. So maybe I'll go out as a volunteer wolf tracker in the winter. However, it is very, very cold. So um, I don't know. Well, maybe I'll have to be another wolf tracker in the spring. <laughs> you can bundle up. It'll be yes, fine. Bundle up. So, Tricia, thank you for sharing this with us. And it's always great to learn about how we can better care for our our environment. And conservation is everything now. So thank you. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on this amazing podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. Precision medicine is a genetics-based approach to personalized care informed by biometrics, genomics, and lifestyle factors. Dr. Dawson, founder, CEO of Wild Health, can bring you incredible recommendations for diet, exercise, sleep, mental health, disease risk reduction, and more based on your personal health story. All of you are invited to get to know Matt Dawson better beside the ocean and over some incredible meals at Gasparilla in November. Call for the Foundations of Wellness Experience reservations at 877-764-1420 or the-gasparilla-in.com.